0: in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3, we're in week 3 of our series that we've entitled Kingdoms, Chaos, and the Sovereignty of God as we look verse by verse through this Old Testament book that was written and lived out about 600 years before Jesus. It is the storyline of Daniel and his friends living in a time and a place where it, it became more and more difficult to live out their faith and to uh, be faithful individuals to the God whom they served. And it serves as a template for us as we continue to live out our faith in what seems to be uh, growing days of difficulty. And what I want to do this morning is I want to, uh, first of all, start with getting us the story behind the story. As we've been unveiling these opening chapters of the book of Daniel, I want us to see some of the things that are happening uh, in and around Daniel that if we focus in on each chapter a week, we we in some ways get the fine tuning, but we don't see the overall picture. What we have in Daniel one through Daniel six is if you will, a chess game between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the devil, between the kingdom of good and the kingdom of evil, between the kingdom of righteousness and goodness and a kingdom of sin and rebellion. And what we will see is moves are being made on this uh, chessboard, if you will. One move by man and his kingdom and one view moved by God and His. And it's a game of chess, or maybe even better, a game of ping pong going back and forth. And so we see God's kingdom work being lived out in the nation of Israel. But then the kingdom of evil and the kingdom of this world comes, and, and it comes in the way of the Babylonian Empire and King Nebuchadnezzar. And they take over the people of God And they decimate the land of God. And they take captive the best of God's people. This doesn't come as a surprise to God. God has a plan and a purpose. And right when the kingdom of evil and the kingdom of the devil thinks they've won, God gives grace to some young Hebrew boys, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And then the devil says, no, we've got to figure this out. Let's let's decree that they've got to eat our food and take our names and, and live our way. And God says, no, my people won't do some of those things. And they'll draw a line, and by my grace, they will stand strong, and, and they will prosper, and they will uh, be better than anybody else around. And it will cause the kingdom of evil to pay homage to the great move God has made. But then the kingdom of evil will say, but no, we're king, we're the leaders, and we're going to do what we want, how we want, when we want. And the kingdom of God says, not so quickly, Nebuchadnezzar, I'm going to give you a threatening, a scary dream, a dream that is unlike any other dream. It's going to freak out Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar is going to say, well, someone's got to be able to interpret this dream. Someone's got to help me with this. And God says, hey, I'll give you one Daniel to interpret the dream. And Sisko led us through that passage last week. And then the kingdom of man, the kingdom of evil says, listen... I think we need to elevate ourselves, and we need to figure out who's for us and who's against us. And so Satan puts in the heart of Nebuchadnezzar this idea of building an image, which we're going to get to in Daniel chapter 3 this morning, and it will determine who's with the kingdom of evil and who needs to be eradicated. You see, behind the scenes of the book of Daniel... These storylines and events in history are a cosmic battle that's taking place. Now I want you to know right off the get-go that God has already declared victory. He did so on the cross of Calvary. But one thing we've got to know and recognize is just as because He is victorious doesn't mean then and there... Everything then turns to the celebration. You see, even in elections, we have election night where someone is declared the victor, but inauguration is for a little while, right? And there's this in-between. We are living right now in the in-between of Christ's victory on the cross and the consummation of that victory when Jesus Christ will put everything under his feet, And so, what Daniel is, is Daniel's a reminder that we are living within a battle. We are living within a world that is hell bent on rebelling against God and His Word. And Daniel lives and serves as real life examples to us how we ought to live in our Babylon, how we are to live in this evil empire and how we are to do it and do it well, how we are to do it graciously and do it to the glory of God, how we are to do it in an honorable way and a holy way. And that's going to take a lot of discernment that's going to take a lot of wisdom to know how do we live as captives as strangers and aliens in this babylon and how do we do it where god can receive glory and honor and even those who disagree with us those who are against us will have no reason but to in many ways promote us and to listen to us we need that kind of truth we need that kind of wisdom and so before we get to Daniel 3, let me set the stage for a moment of where I want us to go. Because it's easy in the, one of the most famous passages of Scripture, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the statue and the fiery furnace, for us to extrapolate our day and say, today we're living in that moment. And the world I'm living in is the world of Nebuchadnezzar, And there is a statue, and we are to bow down to it. We're there. We're in Daniel 3. And we are the Shadrach, Meshachs, and Abednegoes. Let's stop for a moment and recognize that maybe that's not quite the story. That might not be the whole picture. Each morning, I spend some time reading articles that come in my headlines. And for most of them, they go in one ear and out the other. I don't remember them, but there are from time to time articles that I read that stop me, that cause me to think, that cause me to remember them. One such article was about 18 months ago, a man by the name of Aaron Wren wrote in a publication called First Things, The Three Worlds of Evangelicalism. I remember where I was at when I read that article. And I remember reading it and feeling, and maybe you've been here before, where you're reading someone else's words and you're like they have put on paper what i'm feeling they've put on paper what i'm experiencing and in some ways they have communicated in ways and in words i could never do on my own have you ever read something like that where you're like they get me this makes sense and i remember i read the article twice and i'm like this is what I feel like is going on in our world. And I would encourage you, it's able to be read, you can Google that and read it, don't read it now, but read it at some point in the, in the hours and days beyond this. But let me highlight what he says. He says there are three worlds of evangelicalism that will help build your worldview because I know a lot of you are wondering and a lot of you are saying right now, that we live in the days of Daniel three? And the answer is, we probably aren't. I'll get to the reasons as to why. But he says that in the last 50 years, we have been progressing through these three worlds. He says it this way, the first world that many of us were a part of growing up, the positive world, that is pre-1994. So to put a time stamp, I graduated high school in 1994. For some of you young people, Pastor Tim, really old. Okay, before the turn of the century. In the pre-positive world, okay, society at large retained a mostly positive view of christianity to be known as a good church going man remained part of being an upstanding citizen publicly being a christian was a status enhancer that is when you told people you went to church the boss liked that when you told your teachers and fellow students hey i I was at church for an event that was a positive thing many of them say so was i It was a good thing when you went and you told your neighbor, your neighbor saw you leaving, heading to church? Yeah, okay, have a great time. We'll see you when you get back. It wasn't so long ago in the 90s that on Wednesday nights, practices were canceled so kids could go to youth group. These are the days that many of us old people say were the good old days. These are the days we want These are the days we we want to see happening in our world. Well, he says these days are over. He says Christian moral norms are basic moral norms for society and violating them brought on negative consequences. Aaron Wren says we don't live in these days anymore. They ended in the mid-90s or somewhere around there. And he says, well, where do we go from there? Well, beyond 1994 is what he called the neutral world. Society takes a neutral stance towards Christianity. Christianity no longer has a privileged status, but it's not disfavored. Being publicly known as a Christian neither has a positive nor a negative effect on one's social status. Christianity is a valid option, But it's not the only option. We now live in a pluralistic society, in a pluralistic public square, where now we are one of many. And Christian moral norms retain some residual effects. And so the idea here is that your Christianity isn't good or bad, it's gonna determine kinda what your kind of Christianity is. It's gonna determine what kind of scenario you're in. It's gonna determine maybe What part of the country you're in. Are you more urban? Are you more rural? Is it more liberal or conservative? Uh, There's a lot of ebb and flow. And I would say for most of us, we're still living there. Uh, For many of us, um, even our public schools might still be here. Maybe your workplace is still here. They're not against you as a Christian. They're okay with you being a Christian, but, but they want to make sure that whatever you do with your Christianity, we're making sure we're covering all of it. So, the, so Christmas becomes the holidays. Christmas becomes a celebration of all the many celebrations that are going on. And it's okay to live in the neutral world. That's a way of being unified, that's a, a way of recognizing that your way is not the only way. That seems to be okay. Well the problem is, is rarely does culture ever stay in a neutral position. So we have a decision as a culture, will we stay neutral for very long or will we go back to the positive or will we go to the negative? Now before we go to the negative, sorry about that, before we go to the negative in the neutral world, This is the battle that's going on in our world. And our politics seem to be mimicking it because what we hear is we can go back to the positive. And for many in the neutral world, many here today think the way that we fix it is we get the right person in office. We get the right person in and they will bring us back to the good old days. Well, I'm here to tell you, Nowhere in history do you see that. And even if you do, it is so short-lived. Because normally, when you move from the positive to the neutral, especially with regards to moral standing, you always go negative. It always gets to the negative. And so the negative took place, they say, around 2014, 2015, and society becomes negative, has a negative view on Christianity. Being known as a Christian is a social negative particularly in the elite domains of society. Christian morality is expressly repudiated and seen as a threat to the public good and the new public order. So subscribing to Christian moral views or violating the secular moral order brings negative consequences. Some of you right now are moving from the neutral in your workplace, in your school, in your communities into the negative. That now bringing up the name Christian, the name Jesus, doesn't give you a positive. It's not even something that's neutral. Now it creates disdain or maybe even anger towards those around you. Now why do I bring all this up? Because I want you to see that what's going on in Daniel is going on today. And there's a progression that moves from Daniel 1, from the positive to the neutral to the negative, In three short chapters. In Daniel 1, at the beginning of the book, we have the nation of Israel in the positive world. They're in Judah. They are able to believe what they believe. They're able to worship whom they worship. Their laws and their decrees are all declared by God himself. But then Babylon comes in in verse 1 and babylon moves from from christianity or judaism in the days of daniel from being something positive to something neutral they take some of the greatest leaders young men of the jewish faith and they bring them with the idea that we will assimilate them so they move them from a positive world to a neutral world And in Daniel chapter 1, even within this interplay of whether they eat the food or not, there's room for discussion. There's room for debate. There is room for dialogue to take place. The Hebrews are able to still hold to their beliefs and even live them out as long as their beliefs, this is the neutral world, as long as their beliefs don't impact negatively the society around them. But when we open up chapter three, all of that changes. We go from positive, neutral, now to negative, where the people of God are going to be commanded to do something against their God's will Or else. And what we have is a template of how we traverse from a positive world of Christianity to a neutral world to where I believe we're moving into the negative world. And how are we to be prepared for it? To do it, let's read verses 1 through 7. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits, a cubit's about 18 inches, okay, about the length of a man's forearm. So that would make this statue about 90 feet tall and about nine feet around, a pretty big statue. He set it up in the plain of Dura, in the province of Babylon. Dura, so if you were looking at modern uh, uh, nation of Iraq, you have Baghdad, the capital city. To the southwest, a handful of miles, probably about 10 miles, to the southwest of Baghdad is the plain of Dura. For those that lived during the Second Gulf War, two uh, cities became famous one because of a great battle that took place, and another one because of atrocities that took place that got the U.S. in a whole bunch of trouble. The battle, the city was Fallujah. Remember that name, Fallujah? The other city, Abu Ghraib. Both of those cities are in the plain of Dura. This is a real place, and this is a real event that takes place in our world before us. And so he sets up this statue. Now notice verse 3, then King Nebuchadnezzar Sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the council counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the province to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Let's stop there. I want you to envision an event similar to our State of the Union, where all the branches of government, executive, legislative, judicial, All of the generals, all of the important people come to this moment and notice what's going to happen. They're going to dedicate this statue, this image of King Nebuchadnezzar that has been set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up and they stood before the image. So they waited looking at the image. And then the herald proclaimed aloud, you are commanded, you should underline that, you are commanded, O peoples, O nations, all languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music you are to fall down. You are commanded at the sound of the music to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down in worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all people, all nations, all languages fell down and worshiped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Let's stop there. Let's look at three characters very quickly. There's three main characters in this story. King Nebuchadnezzar. You see, what what we want to do, before I even get into King Nebuchadnezzar, is what we want to do is put ourselves in the story, and that's fine. Let's just make sure we put ourselves in the right part of the story. So let me ask you, what part are you playing? So we have King Nebuchadnezzar. He's the ruler. He's the one who thinks he's God. He's the one who sought to elevate himself over all others. Now right away, there's no God-fearing person that would say, I'm a Nebuchadnezzar. And I'm here to say, are you sure about that? King Nebuchadnezzar was all about himself, his preferences, his desires, his pleasures, his pursuits. And he wanted to make sure anybody that was around him was for that as well. Is that true of you? Are you about your pleasure? Are you about your possessions? Are you about your own pursuits? And that you see fit to tell other people that it's all about you. Now you say, I wouldn't do that, because at some point in my life, I paid allegiance to God and to his Christ. Well, if you remember from what Sisko preached last week, at the end of chapter two, Nebuchadnezzar pays homage and allegiance to God. And now some 15 or 20 years later, he's forgotten that homage that he's given to God. And now he's elevating self. It is possible that you at some point gave your allegiance to Jesus Christ, but now you're living for self. I don't want you to think you're Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. What you are is your Nebuchadnezzar. And your job is to repent and to fall to your knees and say, I've blown it, God, have mercy on me. Second character is a big group, it's the crowd. The crowd involves the royal delegation as found in verse two, all the branches of government and it includes everybody in verse seven. All nations, all peoples, all languages. And could it be this morning that you maybe aren't King Nebuchadnezzar but you're a part of the crowd? That you're just going through the motions? I gotta imagine that many who would bow down in worship really didn't believe it But for the sake of their position in the world, for the sake of their popularity, for the sake of their own pursuits, it was expedient for them to just simply do what they were being told. And maybe this morning some of you are God-fearing people who see a means to an end that you just go with the flow. You go with the group. And if everybody's doing that, if that's what they're doing, then you do it. So if they're drinking, you're drinking. They're smoking, you're smoking. They're sleeping around, you're sleeping around. Whatever they do, you're doing. And you've got to ask yourself today, if you're in the crowd, where is my allegiance? Because there's no neutral. These people thought they were neutral. And at the end of the day, like many in the crowd, they were bowing down. Finally, we have the committed The committed are only three, that's all we're told. Might there have been other ones? Maybe, but in this situation we're only told about three. And their names are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And what we're seeing is that these committed have to stay faithful amidst the progression of moving from a positive to neutral to negative world and to do it in a holy and honorable way. So how do they do it? There are four things, not three. Number one is not even in your outline, but I want you to know this. This didn't happen overnight. It's a setup. It's a setup. Now I've told you that one of the ways that you should study scripture is as you read the scripture, slow down and look for patterns. Look for phrases. Look for repetition. And there's all kinds of repetition in this chapter that probably, as you read through it, you didn't even think about. Nine times in this chapter alone we see the phrase set up. You think Daniel's trying to prove a point? What Daniel's telling you is this. The statue didn't show up overnight. There was a progression. There was a plan. There was a pursuit. So at some point Nebuchadnezzar and his leader said listen. Listen. We have absorbed all these cultures, all of these religions, all of these languages, all of these people groups. How do they, we know that they're with us? So we've gotta create something that is a litmus test to see if people are with us or against us. And it must have come from Pharaoh, uh, Pharaoh from Nebuchadnezzar's dream about the statue that Daniel's God says he's a part of. And so it seems like there's a similarity to what's built and what has been envisioned by Nebuchadnezzar in his dream. So he builds this 90 foot tall, nine feet around statue made in his likeness. Now it would have taken years to build. This doesn't happen overnight. Nor does all people groups, tongues and nations and tribes just simply bow down. So you're gonna have to tenderize it, if you will. You're gonna have to work it into the system. So how do we go from people believing what they believe to believing what this group wants them to believe? They've gotta start bringing it, start cultivating it into the life of culture. So write these three things down. How do we go from believing one thing to another? Number one, We make sure that whatever we're gonna believe is publicly embraced. So the first mention of the statue isn't here in Daniel three. It couldn't have been. You're not gonna get people to just bow down and worship anything. You gotta break it up a little bit. So what did these government officials do? No question, they started telling people the accolades of King Nebuchadnezzar. So the heralds go out and they start saying, man, listen, listen to your king. How great your king is. He he took over another nation. He he has brought into captivity another group of people. This general who was supposed to be really strong and powerful, Nebuchadnezzar knocked out in just a few short hours. And so they start building this, this campaign of PR stunt of making sure that people know Nebuchadnezzar is someone to respect, someone to revere. And little by little, the community and people start to embrace it. They start saying, yeah, we're reading the papers and Nebuchadnezzar is something more than a human being. Maybe he is the world leader that we've always wondered would come to power. But then it moves from that and notice that at this point Who's leading the charge? It's not Nebuchadnezzar. Notice again the repetition of who's leading the charge in verse 2. It says that he gathered his people the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials. Who's doing the dirty work? It's them. They're leading the charge. So be careful, church, when when an ideology is starting to get sprinkled in media and sprinkled in our world and starts to be publicly embraced to where it's corporately endorsed. The statue is a symbol of an ideology. It is a unifying banner that says whether you're with us or you're not. Church, you say, I will never bow down to a statue. Good. But are you feeling the pressure to bow down to a flag? Are you feeling it in your community? There was a set time where everybody would bow down to that image. There's a whole month dedicated to bowing down to a flag. And you say, listen, I can take it. My neighbor might not agree with me. My friends may not agree. Maybe even my family doesn't agree. And I can live with that. Good minds can disagree. But some of you are feeling right now because you're working in the public sphere. And this is where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego feel it. They're feeling it at work. Because in the HR form it says bow down to the statue or lose the promotion, or lose standing at work, or lose your job. Brothers and sisters, we are in a place where an ideology is publicly embraced. We see it in media, we see it in the influencers, we see it amongst the elite. Live this way, affirm this, identify this and now corporations, the bosses, are saying this is it. So who's carrying the water for that ideology? Listen, it's not really government. It's corporations. And some of you are feeling that now when you get the HR manuals that tell you you have to do this, you have to do that, make sure your emails say this, make sure your pronoun says that, do this, do that, and you're starting to feel it while well, you're moving from the neutral world into the negative world. But before you think I'm Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in this, recognize that we're not at Daniel 3 yet because we've gone from publicly embracing an ideology to it corporately endorsed to it being governmentally enforced. That's where Daniel 3 is. So at some point, now listen, are we there yet? Pastor Tim says, you can disagree with me, we're not there yet. But is there a time... When that ideology and that banner is put before us and our government, not our job, not our friends, not our family, but our government will say, you bow down, you believe it, you affirm it or else. Is that coming? Sure seems like it. Because now if we don't bow down to it, they won't kill us, they'll cancel us. They won't throw us in the fire, but they'll make us feel the heat. And so we need to be really, really careful of what's going on here. And we need to see, there's a setup happening. And the setup is the kingdom of Babylon that's alive and well in our world is setting us up to get to the point that you say either you're with us or you're not. Now the Bible says that at some point in the future, It's not gonna be a statue, it's gonna be a mark. It's gonna be a mark on your hand, it's gonna be a mark on your forehead, and you're neither gonna buy nor sell. And heads are gonna start rolling, whether or not you've taken that ideology, you've taken that identification. And so the book of Daniel, my friends, is a template. How are we to be faithful in that world? How are we to do that? How do we go to work and do it right and and do it honorably and do it in a holy way? And what happens when they're at work or in the citizenry, the people above us start ramping up the consequences if we don't do what they say. So listen, church, don't be surprised, point number two, don't be surprised when the world tells you to shut up. Is there a day coming? I think so. Is it here yet? No. But I think it's coming. And the world's gonna say, okay, shut up. What was the image that said shut up? The statue. The ideology. And they had a decision to make. Will they bow? And there's a moment where everybody bows. And those three stand up. Holy moly, their courage. Why are they so courageous? Three reasons. Number one, they are minorities in the mix. They're Hebrews in a Babylonian world. You and I are Christians in a non-Christian world. And so we're already in the minority. So it's already hard enough to live out your faith and now you're gonna be singled out. And so they gotta work beyond I'm a minority here. Number two, all the peer pressure. Notice Daniel seems to want us to feel the heat of the pressure of all the peoples, all of the languages, all of the nations. He says it numerous times. Everybody bowed, except for three. Get that image into your head, where everybody bows down. They get down, and think about how conspicuous you are. You're standing up, and you're looking around, and you're like, Shadrach? Yeah Meshach Abednego We're by ourselves Number three Their courage is seen They no doubt Can smell and maybe even Feel the heat of the furnace That furnace is burning And it's there And they know by standing up They're dead meat And yet they stand Now, what's the decision they make? Okay, and we'll keep going through this text. To stay with me. Because it says in verse 8, Therefore, at the time certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews, they declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, Oh, King, live forever. They're buttering him up. O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods and worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar in his furious rage commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear, it's like, hey, maybe you didn't hear it. Maybe you didn't get the memo, so we'll give you a do-over. So when you're ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I've made, well and good. It's a good image. It works. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God? who is going to deliver you out of my hands. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, will be able to deliver us from the fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Let's stop there. Don't be surprised when the world tells you to shut up and do what you're told. But understand that this is an opportunity to stand up. And that's what they do. They stand up and they stand tall. Now, what is the decision at hand? Bow down and live. Don't bow down and die. Simple decision, black and white. Do you think that there were some in the crowd who thought there was a third way? The third way is this. I'll go through the motions, but I don't believe it. I'll go through the motions and I'll keep my popularity and I'll live an undercover Christian life. So I'll bow down, I don't buy it. I'm not with them, but I live to see another day. Let me get a little closer to home. I'll bow down because that's called tolerance. Let me poke a little harder. I'll bow down because if I don't, my children who bow down won't think I love them and will think I'm judgmental. Are we hitting close to home today, folks? It's amazing what we will do as Christians when the pressure's on in a black and white situation that will create a gray area. Well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, no. You will have no other gods before me. This isn't gray. It's black and white. And what we as Christians do, and it's happening today, is there has to be a third way. So just bow down, but don't believe it. That's hogwash. You're bowing down, you're sinning. And we need to recognize either we're going to be those who stand up or we're going to be those who turn our backs to the living and true God and go with the gods of this world. Nebuchadnezzar is smarter than most Christians are. He knows this image says you're either with me or you're not. And these men knew what God's word said. You will love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And they said, if that means we gotta die, we die. But I can assure you, hell or high water, I'm not bowing down. We need Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the days to come. So how do you get there, church? I want you to draw a picture in your outlines. And we're almost done, okay? I know there's football and stuff, we'll get there, okay? But I want you to draw a picture and the picture is this, it's a stool. And on the stool you have the word fearless faith. That's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And people are like, that's what I wanna be, and praise God for that. But to have that, three things have to be apparent. First of all, the first leg of the stool is you have to have a confession or creed. For, uh, for these boys, these men, it was the Shema. It was the Torah. God is a jealous God. No graven images. That's a no-no. That's a non-negotiable. But it's not enough, listen, it is not enough for you to be in a Christian home. It is not enough for you to be a part of a good Christian church. You will not be a Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in your day if all you're holding to is your parents' beliefs, your pastor's beliefs, Because your parents and your pastors, notice, their parents and their pastors aren't with them. And so what it means is you've gotta believe it. The second uh, part of the stool is conviction. You've gotta want it. And so the prayer of Amanda and I for our three boys is that our children won't have the beliefs of their parents in name only, but it will be their own conviction. They'll believe it. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were 700 miles away from home, and they said, this is our belief. But it's not enough for you just to have a conviction. A lot of you have a creed I will believe God, I will serve God, I will honor God. You have a conviction, this is what I believe, this is what I hold firm to. And then the boss comes in your office and says, I want you to do something directly in opposition to the Scriptures, and you cave. And the reason why is you don't have courage. And you're like, well, Tim, I'm not built like you. I'm not a fighter like you are. Well, I want you to know that courage comes in direct proportion as your conviction to the creeds and confessions that you hold of God's word. Mary wasn't a strong fighter, but she knew what she believed and understood what God had taught and she had the courage to face her world in an impossible situation because she had rehearsed it again and again and again. Some of you are ready to fight the battle of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and say, I'll stand when I need to, but right now I don't need to. Baloney, you'll bow like the rest of them. But if you will rehearse God's word in your heart, if you will make it your conviction and you allow that to meditate and saturate your life when the going gets tough the tough will get going and the tough will stand and it'll be amazing what might happen these men stand up and what happens they get thrown into a fire and they die let's close in prayer Well, they get thrown into a fire. Notice in the text. He's filled with rage against them in verse 19. He makes the fire heated seven times more than it usually is. He orders some of the mighty men of his army to bind them, and he throws them into the furnace. Then those, these men who were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their garments They're thrown into the fiery furnace. Because the king's order was so urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. Then, you should underline that word, then, what happens? When you stand up, watch, God will show up. God will show up. Now these guys don't know how God is going to show up. They have no idea. But they know their Bibles. And in Isaiah, Isaiah says this that I think gives them confidence to say, we don't know what could happen, but maybe this might. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. And when you walk through the fire, aha, Hey, boys, remember in Awana, we memorized this verse in Isaiah? Could this be? Well, maybe. Well, let's give it a shot. And I got to wonder, it's not recorded, but let me speculate for a moment. Are they praying Isaiah 43? Lord, when we walk through the fire, we'll not be burned. The flames will not set us ablaze. For you're our Lord, our God, the Holy One of Israel, Our Savior. But maybe, God, you won't do that. You'll just take us to glory. Win-win. So throw us into the fire. And let God show up. And so what happens? God shows up. And it says, they were thrown into the fire. Verse 24, then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. Oh, boy. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. And the say the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not any power over the bodies of these men. The hair of their heads were not singed. Their cloaks were not harmed, nor did they smell a fire. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel to deliver his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own. How does God show up? Well, first of all, God physically shows up. Not three guys, but four. We call that a Christophany. That is a pre-Bethlehem appearance of the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ. So, when you have to face troubled times in this world, know and recognize that Jesus' words ring true. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Surely I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. Second, When we stand up and allow God to show up, God uses our stand to change lives. The king's life is changed. The leader's lives are changed. And notice as the text goes on, therefore I make a decree, any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. And, God, and the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to the province of Babylon and the story ends. Could it be, my friends, that amidst this negative world that we live in, that God may be calling you to stand up. Now notice really quickly, and I have to close, but notice really quickly, how did they stand up? They did so honorably. Notice they didn't call names. Notice they didn't create a lobbying group. They didn't protest with signs. They just stood. And they said, what you're asking of me, I can't do. With all due respect, I'm sorry, but I can't and I won't do it. Could it be that we're not making the impact in the world because we are more about bloviating than not bowing? That we're a lot of bluster instead of true belief? And could it be that what God's calling us to is to stand up amidst troubled times and to do so in an honorable and holy way so that we don't show up, but that God does? Because when God shows up, I'm gonna ask the worship team to come out. When God shows up, we have nothing to fear, friends. When God shows up, no matter what he plans to do, he's got a purpose and plan. And as you can see, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, their lives didn't end there. They would go on and they would keep following God until God called them home. And whatever God has purpose for us in these days, will you stand? Will you stand firm in your faith? Leave the details and the circumstances and consequences to God and trust Him, remembering the scripture that says, What can man do to me? If God is for us, who can be against us? Whom shall we fear? Amen?